The UFO sightings have been reported throughout recorded history and in various parts of the world, raising questions about life on other planets and whether extraterrestrials have visited Earth. They have become a major subject of interest and the inspiration behind numerous films and books, TV shows. However, sadly they are also the focus of intense ridicule. For decades, there has been a move, deliberate or not, to diminish the importance of UFOs and create a public belief that UFOs are a hoax. But unexplained aerial observations have been reported throughout history, from prehistoric times until the present day. And in fact, former President Donald Trump's $2.3 trillion appropriation bill for 2021 contained a mandate that the Pentagon and spy agencies must file a report about unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP. Most of us just call them flying saucers or UFOs. They seem to confirm that they do exist, but what about alien abductions? I don't know about you, but few things in this world genuinely scare me. But for some reason, alien life really unsettles me. But is my fear practical? Do aliens really exist? Well, I can't answer that for you, but the case I'm about to present to you might help you form your own opinion. For those of you who have been here for a while, I want to thank you for tuning in every week. I've been dealing with an illness that has made it very difficult to produce content but I'm feeling better now and for those of you who are new here well I'm Anthony Rossetti your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained and this is episode 20 of not another horror podcast Let's start with the simple fact of the matter. Barney Hill was a black man and Betty was a white woman. And the civil rights movement that they both believed in was ripping at America's soul. Not only were they an interracial couple working for the NAACP, but they were living with the full-time stress they saw in the silent stares of disapproval that followed them even on the best days. Betty Stewart and Barney Hill met in the summer of 1956 when Barney, his then wife Ruby, and their two children met Betty while on vacation. After Barney and Ruby separated early the following year, Barney and Betty started hooking up. Betty and Barney were married in Camden, New Jersey on May 12, 1960. It was the second marriage for both of them, and they had taken a big leap when they said, I do. Their marriage said in no uncertain terms that they wanted to be colorblind in the choice of their soulmate, but 
Of course, that was never possible. Not in a country that was turning fire hoses on citizens and arresting people for sitting at lunch counters. Still, they were also living normal lives to the extent it was possible. Betty was a social worker taking on child welfare cases for the state of New Hampshire. Barney was into engineering, but because of his race, he didn't get too far in the career field. So he worked for the post office and had a grueling commute to Boston and back for his graveyard shift. The Hills had planned to stay in Montreal the night of September 19th. The standard line is that they changed their minds when they heard about a storm heading for the East Coast. It may also have had something to do with Barney's discomfort about the possibility of getting a room as an interracial couple. He already felt like an outsider, living in mostly white Portsmouth. But these people in Montreal spoke French as well. He was an outsider squared in that city up north. So, for whatever reasons, they decided to pull a long night haul into early morning. At least seven hours of hard mountain darkness ahead and arrive in Portsmouth before the sun came up. They stopped for food at a diner, probably filling the stairs when they entered. Barney got a cheeseburger despite his high blood pressure, and Betty got a chocolate cake. They left Vermont around 10 p.m., hoping to make it back to Portsmouth around 2 a.m. However, as they drove, they noticed a bright light in the sky that appeared to be following them. With every mile they drove, the light grew bigger and brighter. As a World War II veteran and a plane enthusiast, Barney Hill did not think much of the light at first. As it was the middle of the night, he figured the light could not be coming from a commercial plane or a helicopter, and assumed it was just a satellite that had gone off course. The events that night would change your lives forever. You see, while driving, eventually the couple grew so curious that they decided to pull over and investigate. Through a pair of binoculars, Betty realized that the light was not a satellite and was actually some sort of object spinning in the air, presumably a flying saucer. Barney also grew concerned. As a pragmatic intellectual man, he was skeptical of any extraterrestrial explanation, but he had no alternative guess as to what the light could be. The couple continued driving until they reached Route 3 in Lincoln, when the object hovered just over 100 feet above the car. Borny abruptly stopped, got out of the car with a handgun, and saw something that was as big as a jet but as flat as a pancake. Behind the windows of the object were beings in gray uniforms who told Borny to put down his binoculars. He tried to raise his pistol but somehow found himself unable to. Realizing that he was about to be captured, he ran back to the car and sped off. At some point, Betty and Barney Hill heard strange beeping noises from their trunk. They started to feel drowsy. Their car began to vibrate, their minds fell into a bizarre trance, and eventually lost consciousness. The next thing they knew, it was two hours later and they were 30 miles further down the road, feeling hazy, not sure how they got there. Back in Portsmouth, they realized that Betty's new dress was torn and her earrings were missing. Barney's new shoes were scuffed badly, they felt clammy and violated. A compass went wild when it was placed on their car trunk where they had observed a collection of half-dollar-sized round spots that weren't there when they left. Plus, the car clock and their watches had stopped, and they never started again. They reported the case to Pease Air Force Base and to the National Investigations Committee for Aerial Phenomena. 
They spoke to a few key friends and family. Everyone saw how shaken they were. About 10 days after their horrible experience, Betty began having vivid nightmares that brought everything back to life. Betty, who had always kept a dream journal next to her bed, wrote all of them down. She remembered meeting an alien medical examiner who assured her that they just wanted to run some tests on her and Barney to learn more about the differences between their species and humans. They seemed fascinated by the nervous system specifically. Also in the dream, she and Barney would be walking through a forest somewhere near the now abandoned car. She was in front and Barney behind her. Each had one of the strange entities on either side of them. Each of these entities wore shiny dark uniforms and similar colored caps. They were, much as Barney had described, seeing through the binoculars. They were shorter than she and Barney, around five feet high, their skin that was a strange gray color, and their eyes extremely dark. She would often recall walking up a strange large ramp, which extended from a huge disc-shaped object which towered over them. She and Barney would be separated. Bizarrely, a figure Betty would often refer to as the leader would inform her that to keep them together would take longer to perform the examinations. She would recall walking around the room. At one point, she would pick up a book that had strange symbols on it. Upon her asking, the leader would also produce a detailed star map showing where they came from. Betty asked the leader if she could take that book with her at first, the leader said yes. Then there was some sort of disagreement. The Hills were taken back to their car. According to the leader, the other men wished them not to remember the incident. Even stranger was the need each of the Hills had to take repeated showers, as if they were contaminated somehow. Borny, although he wouldn't find anything on him, had the constant urge to check his genitals. It was as though some type of injury he couldn't recall had taken place. Betty, meanwhile, was in a constant state of quiet anxiety. She would leave the Hill's luggage packed near the back door of the house, so that, for reasons she didn't understand, if they had to make a quick and sudden getaway, the bags were ready to throw straight into the car outside. As the days went on, with the pair increasingly confused and frustrated at the lack of recall of their experience, they would attempt to reconstruct their journey on the night in question. However, as soon as they came to the moment, Betty wound down the window and the strange beeps and buzzing noises, each of their memories would suddenly go blank. Try as they might, they simply couldn't remember what happened next. It was as though a mental block was purposely in place in their minds. It was ultimately because of this apparent mental block that the Hills experienced that they would keep pushing for answers. This would eventually result in revealing hypnotic regression therapy, perhaps the first in a UFO case. Over two years later, they submitted to a hypnotic regression conducted by Dr. Benjamin Simon. In separate accounts, they each told the same story from different points of view about being taken on board the craft, having a medical exam conducted, and in Betty's case, having a conversation with the leader. These tapes exist some 11 hours, and they are shocking and very authentic. I'm going to play you a few clips from their tapes. The link to the full recordings are in the show notes. 
sleep. Deeper and deeper. Fully relaxed, all muscles are relaxed. You're comfortable, relaxed. You will not be anxious or distressed, but you will remember everything and you will tell me everything. It's right over my right. God. What is it? And I try to maintain control so Betty cannot tell I am scared. God, I'm scared. It's all right. You can go right on experience it. It will not hurt you now. I got to get my gun. Oh! You got my gun! I think 
I know why. Because Irish are usually hostile to Negroes. And when I see a friendly Irish person, I react to it by thinking I will be friendly. And I think this one that is looking over his shoulder is friendly. You say looking over his shoulder, was he facing away from you? Yes, he was facing a wall. And mm -hmm. he, you saw him through this window, or you said there was a row of windows? It was a row of windows, just a huge row of windows, only divided by uh, struts or structures that prevented it from being one solid window, or then it would have been one solid window. And the evil face on the, he looks like a German Nazi. He is a Nazi. Did he have on a uniform? Yes. What kind of uniform? He was black. He had a black scarf around his neck, dangling over his left shoulder. You pointed it out as if it were on you. I never noticed that. And a black star or anything. How could you see these figures so clearly at that distance? I was looking at them with binoculars. Oh. Mm -hmm. Did they have faces like other people? You say one reminded you of a red-headed Irishman. His eyes were slanted. I see it so. His eyes were slanted. But not like a Chinese. What was Betty doing all this time? You're out I there by yourself, huh? Yeah. You don't think of her. Is she saying anything? I can't hear her. Did you make any outcry to her, the way you did to me? I, 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 I can't remember. I don't know. I did not. You would remember it if you did. I, I did not. But... I know this, this creature, this leader is telling me something. He's telling you something. How? How is he getting it to you? I can see it in his face. Do you see his lips me? move? Yes. No, his lips aren't moving. Yes, go on. He's telling you. He's looking at me. What did he tell you? Stay there and keep looking. Just keep looking and stay there. And just keep looking. 
Just keep looking. Could you hear each other? Oh, I gotta pull these binoculars away from my... Because if I don't, I'll just keep staying there. Could you hear him tell you this? Oh, no. He didn't say it. You felt he said it. I, it? I know. You know he just said it. Just there, yeah. Just stay there, he's saying to me. It's All right. I'll take you my head. Just All don't right. pull All the binoculars away. God, give me strength. All right. All pull right. them down. Run! Pull these binoculars down and run! God! It says, my God, give me strength. I gotta get away. Oh, oh, babe. All right, all right. You gotta get away, babe. All right. Calm down. Calm down. I'm trying. Calm down. Get away. In these hypnotic regression sections. Simon would perform all of the hypnotic sessions on the hills privately and separately so as not to influence the other. Although Barney was initially nonchalant about the sessions and the encounter in general, Simon would suspect that this outward attitude masked a deep concern that he felt underneath. With this in mind, he would regress Barney first. The results were immediate. When recalling the strange entities through the binoculars, and of them looking back of him, genuine fear and terror broke out in Barney. He would recall that he was so terrified during the encounter that he had kept his eyes tight shut throughout much of it. He had claimed that after turning to run for the car, the strap on the binoculars had snapped and as he ripped it from his face, Barney could recall clearly driving away from the bizarre craft and of seeing it in the distance behind them, then his recall became intriguing and unnerving. For reasons he didn't know, he suddenly had an urge to take the car off the road and take it into the woods and onto a dirt road. He would drive along this quiet track for some time before six men appeared in the middle of the road. Before he could bring the car to a stop, though, it stalled and came to a stop just in front of the group. Three of the men approached the car. In his mind, he could recall a voice telling him not to fear them. The leader of the men would tell Barney to close his eyes while he did this. He would recall that I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. He would claim this stare from the men had a mesmerizing effect. As a testament to just how frightening Barney would find these strange eyes, these equally strange men had on their face throughout the hypnosis sessions whenever the issue would come up. He would cry things such as, those eyes, they're in my brain, and all I see are those eyes, they're just there. Perhaps most unnerving, they're just close up pressing against my eyes. Unlike his wife, he also stated that he and Betty were led up a large walkway that extended from the huge disc-shaped craft. Once on board, would come their separation. At this stage, while laying on the examination table, Barney would keep his eyes mostly tightly shut. Consequently, he would take in a lot less detail than his wife. He would recall that a cup-like device was placed over his genitals, which would retrieve a sperm sample. He would also feel skin scrape from his arms while they would peer intently into his ears and mouth. One particularly interesting detail was the feeling that someone was working their hands over his spine. He got the impression that they were counting the vertebrae. In another similar detail to Betty, he would claim their language to be nothing more than strange numbers. 
However, at the same time, he could understand them in English when that language was directed at him. Both of them would also recall that the mouths of the entities appeared not to move. Borny specifically would describe their method of communication as thought transference. This is a minor but perhaps important detail. It is thought that this phrase was used as the idea of telepathy and what it was was unknown to Barney. In short, it is perhaps a detail that lends the account towards credibility. There is no doubt, at least to most, that the entities Betty and Barney Hill were describing are what we would now call gray aliens or the greys. However, at the time, such a description was not automatic of these alien encounters. Does this then lend another slice of credibility to the Hill's account? Some believe it very much does. However, some skeptics would argue that an episode of The Outer Limits named The Bellero Shield had aired around a fortnight before The Hill's apparent abduction. One of the characters of the episode featured a bald, gray-skinned alien. Many believe this influence likely without them knowing the eventual perception of whatever they saw that evening in September 1961. Betty Hill would insist that she had not watched the show in question, much less she hadn't even heard of it. And while there is undoubtedly a resemblance, it is hardly a perfect match. It is, though, a reasonable point to raise. Perhaps another point might be where the idea for the original television character came from. Another claim to explain what the Hills had really seen came from New Hampshire residents Jim McDonald. He would retrace the route the Hills had taken and felt sure that what they had actually witnessed was an aircraft warning beacon that resides on the nearby Cannon Mountain. McDonald would claim that both the angle the Hills would have witnessed and beacon and the timing of it matched their account. Exactly. While this might sound reasonable on the surface, it loses a little of its credibility when the rest of the incident, including the alien abduction scenario, is explained as nothing more than sleep deprivation and false memories. Were Betty and Barney Hill the unwilling victims of an alien abduction? Or might they have been unknowing participants in some kind of top-secret military experiment? Or might the explanation be more dimensional or supernatural in nature? It is certainly a case that still over 50 years is as layered as it is intriguing. And it is one that despite the odd skeptic, many believe is genuine, at least in terms of the lack of falsehood on the hills. Their character is not in doubt. Perhaps it is also worth noting the number of respected people in and out of the UFO community who speak repeatedly highly of Betty and Barney. Just one of the many people to speak highly of the hills might be Stanton T. Friedman, who has studied the UFO phenomenon extensively for some time. He would spend considerable time speaking in detail with the Hills. He would state that by no stretch of the imagination could anyone who knows them conclude that they were nuts. Incidentally, Barney Hill would pass away from a cerebral hemorrhage on 25th, February, 1969. Aged only 46, his wife Betty would never remarry following her husband's death. She would live until the age of 85, where she died from cancer on October 17, 2004. Whatever did happen to the hills that night in New Hampshire in September 1961, it is an incident 
that remains open to investigation to future UFO researchers and investigators. Only through their future efforts will the Hills face vindication in their continued assertions of their experience, and at the same time providing another key piece of the puzzle that is the UFO and alien question. Well, that's all I have for you tonight. Do you believe in aliens after this? Or maybe you have your own alien abduction story to share. Shoot us a message if you do. As always, stay safe, stay sane, and don't get abducted.